gentlemen, it's the hostility hour, and it's on the air. By the way, it's, incidentally, can you imagine, can you imagine 85,000 demonstrators tonight on their day off? <laughs> and they're driving around on their motorcycles and in their cars, and they got their transistor radios on, and all of a sudden they hear the sound of a demonstration they're missing. <laughs> Doggone it! <laughs> I told you we shouldn't have gone to the beach tonight. Listen to them down in there. Let's hear it. Boom! <laughs> oh, man, it's... Great to be alive, isn't it, guys? Well, we're down here at the limelight. This little hotbed of passion. This little, this little, this little toadstool of anger. It's a toadstool. And that ain't a mushroom, baby. This, and by the way, did you ever, did you ever have a friend? Did you, do you ever know anybody who went out and picked mushrooms? Uh, he's an ex-friend now, isn't he? He's long since disappeared from our world. But this little toadstool of vibrant life down here is called the limelight. And it's down on 7th Avenue South in the heart of passion-filled, angry Greenwich Village. And right now, over... Hold it. Do you realize right now over Greenwich Village there is almost a full moon? And when I, yeah, oh, you can hear the anger already seeping up and down Barrow Street. <laughs> and you can, you can feel those, those, those strange, those strange passions oozing up and down McDougal. Believe me, there are some strange passions. <laughs> For those of you who know anything about McDougal Street, oh, wowie. <laughs> and it's a full moon and it's 1965. It's America. You realize that we're doing a remote. A thousand years from now, guys will be studying New York in the mid-60s. New York, and particularly Greenwich Village, at this time in history, bears the same relationship to the society at large that Sodom and Gomorrah bore to an earlier group of people. Now, wouldn't you love to hear, seriously, wouldn't you love to hear if they had recordings of the days when Gamora was in full swing? Wouldn't you like to hear a remote from Gamora? You know, I mean, there's a guy on hand. He says, ladies and gentlemen, we're coming to you from the heart of downtown Gamora, where the orgies are in full swing, and I'm going to now interview the orgiest on the street. Sir, put it down like that. <laughs> Well, there's another kind here, up here. You know? <laughs> Swing up with the chandeliers. <laughs> well, you know, wouldn't it be sad? Have you ever thought about that? We heard of great, great sin cities of the past, you know, Babylon. Wouldn't it be sad, though, to have been working on a little hot dog stand and farm 45 miles outside of Gomorrah, and you never heard that there was a party? <laughs> You never knew about it, you know? And I have a suspicion there are millions of people living out there in nice little hamlets in Jersey. You know, a friendly little Jersey. <laughs> oh, that's a lovely state. <laughs> I just love it. Oh. What is there about Jersey? I don't know. What is it? This is just a simple little piece of real estate, that's all. <laughs> have, you ever, have you ever thought of the millions of people living out there in Jersey? Indiana, I could I could testify because I'm from Indiana. Out there in Indiana and Jersey and Pennsylvania, these people who who sit on the front porch, they're swinging back and forth. You know the porch swing, and they can smell the snowball bushes. And once in a while, they pick up a copy of say Life magazine or Playboy, and they wonder what all this writing is about. What's this camp art business? <laughs> and they think, well, they must have invented it. I didn't see none of that at the PTA. I... <laughs> no, it must be wonderful to be one of the great blissfully unaware. Well, that's not ignorant. That's just the great unaware out there who think that things are the way they always were. It must be a great feeling. My mother is like that. My mother, right out, right at this minute in Hammond, Indiana, is wearing 
a red chenille bathrobe. And she's leaning over the sink, waiting for Bing Crosby to make a comeback. Yes, she is. And, and, and since this is a hot summer night, and, you know, we all, all of us, every last single one of us, we are a bundle of all kinds of frustrating inhibitions, little bits of knowledge, all kinds of things that go to make up an American, 1965. Which, by the way, makes him different from a Frenchman of 1965. All kinds of things. And the single most dynamic force in American life is mother. <laughs> Ooh, gee, I just said the word, you could see all those eyes suddenly flicker. <laughs> I can just see eyes like that. Don't, don't you feel when I say that? I'll say it again. Mother. Ooh, you hear that mingle boos and yells? Yeah, we're the, we're the nation that spawned Tennessee Williams. Edward Albee. We're the nation that spawned a whole generation of mother haters. And at the same time, mother lovers. You can't tell which it is, you know. There's a lot of other words that are used to say that. Oh, stop it. <laughs> well, I want to tell you about my mother. See, I'm a kid. The one thing that all kids assume, and incidentally, we all remain in one shape or another, the same little squirt we were at five. We are, you know, we, 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 it's still there. That little squirt that's walking around like this. You know? That little, it, 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 no matter, even when you see official people, when you look at, at, at say, Lyndon Johnson, can you see Lynn when he's nine walking around like this? <laughs> hey, come on, guy, let's play a little ball, huh? He's there. That kid is inside of every one of us. And I remember my mother. You know, of course, the, the, the first thing you think of when you're a kid is that nobody in any other given generation has had any experience in what you are experiencing. In fact, almost every kid who dates a chick at the age of 12, he, he has a, a vague suspicion that sex was invented somewhere in his 11th year. And in fact, he invented it. And this is why he's a little sneaky about it, you know. He doesn't want him to find out, his mother, to find out this terrible thing he's invented. See? He didn't want his dad to know this awful thing he invented. In fact, hardly any of us ever can see our mother and father in the back seat of a Pontiac. When they were in high school, you know. Oh, it's a terrible thing. And so we always have a feeling that our mothers, our mothers don't really know. Well, let me tell you the time, and, and I was reminded of this because I'm an amateur radio operator. You know what a ham radio operator is? This is a guy that has a little radio set. He, he's, he knows Morse code. And every night, if he's good, if he really knows his business, he's talking to places like the Ukraine. He's talking to the Antarctic. Oh, yeah, you know. And all the while, the people in the front of the house are sitting around eating bridge mix. <laughs> and he's sitting in the next room talking away to some guy in, in upper Croatia. Hello, old man. This is Hammond, Indiana here. And my mother keeps saying, will you please, man, stop making them beeps on the radio? And I'm back in there like this. Well, my mother, in, 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 probably, maybe it was her generation. I don't know whether the mothers today do. But she had an innate fear of electricity. She always used to say, be careful of live wires. Well, to my mother, anything, a little piece of wire on the ground was a live wire. She'd see a little wire, she'd walk around. Walking around, it's a live wire. And so I took up amateur radio. When I speak of live wires, when I was about, oh, 12 or 13, I finally got myself a license. And, you know, most of us live in the world that all the other people live in. Well, let me tell you about amateur radio. All of a sudden, if you can imagine a 14-year-old kid who has been separated from the herd. All the other kids are out knocking out fly balls, pinching chicks, 
yelling and hollering, hitting each other. And down in the basement is this little nut huddled over his workbench, winding a coil. Look at him, imagine. See, he's, he's involved in black magic. And everybody else thinks he's, you know, what's the matter with him? Why doesn't he get out? Look at him, he's getting, he's getting pale. My old man used to say, Will you come out of the basement, will ya? I'd say, okay, Dad. I got the soldering iron going. He said, come on out, we're going to play catch. I said, oh, catch, oh. <laughs> Already at the age of nine, I'm deep in the heart of, of quadratic equations. I'm working with Kirchhoff's Law, and the old man can hardly read the Chicago Tribune, you know. <laughs> His idea of higher math was Luke Appling's batting average. <laughs> Which he could never figure out how he did it either, you know. And so I'm a kid who begins to feel he's really superior to everybody around him. As witness all these kids here. You never saw a snottier bunch in your life, did you? Look at them. Oh, yeah, the kids walk around, you know, and they, boy, they're really on top of it. And this is a product of being 15. The on top of a kid. And so I would, I would literally, I would literally uh, just survive through family visits. You know that kind of thing where Aunt Min comes over and Uncle Carl and they bring out, you know, and they bring out the they bring out the potato salad and the weenies and the hot dogs and they sit around and they say, why don't you kids go out and play? And I stand around with my cousins and all the while in my brain I'm working out 600 ohm feed lines and I'm oh fantastic stuff. See? And continually, my mother kept saying, will you get out of that front bedroom and play? I said, all right, Ma, all right. All right, Bruner, throw me the ball. Hey, Ma, I'm playing. Bruner, throw me the ball. All right, Bruner, catch it, you lout. Into the stickers. Ten seconds later, I'm back in there. I said, well, Ma, I did play with Bruner. He's looking for the ball. It's in the stickers. All right, that's the superior kid. In fact, I was so... No, really, there's nothing that, that, that is, is more debilitating to a future adult than to be a kid who learns everything in 30 seconds. You know, whose, whose mind is that kind of steel trap, balsawood mind that can immediately engulf all of algebra in five minutes and forget it in three and a half. <laughs> oh, yeah, I got A's, straight A's in school, you know. They'd, they'd say, geography. I'd say, oh, yeah, yeah, geography. I'd look at it, and instantly I got an A. Do you know today I can't even tell you where South America is? <laughs> I'm serious, you know, and, and I, math, I don't even know how to add. And yet I got straight A's. So I'm this snotty, superior kid. And my old man is, is getting bugged. There is nothing more debilitating to an adult, a father type, than to have a kid who, you know that great communist idea of the great leap forward? The kid has leaped seven generations forward and already at the age of eight and a half is a PhD in his own mind, you know? And so the old man used to always try to knock me down. We're sitting in a, you know, I'm always sitting in the back like this. The old man is driving along, he's got the He's got the Graham Page going, he's shifting gears, you know. My old man, by the way, was a born straw hat wearer. <laughs> got big glasses, you know, looking out, kicking around. I'm sitting back there, says, oh, that poor old klutz. <laughs> oh, boy, you know, I'm looking around. And once in a while, the old man says, I bet you can't tell me how much I'm averaging to the mile on the gas. I say, why, yes, father, I can. You were averaging 13.938 miles to the gallon on this tank. Silence. <laughs> he has figured it to be 18, and, he, and he's not going to argue with the experts. Smart. <laughs> All right, smart guy, what kind of car is that? I'd say LaSalle. V8 LaSalle. He said, ain't, it's a six. I said, what are you talking about? It's a V8, Dad. It is a V8. I saw it. It's all right. <laughs> well, the point of telling you this story is that there is a moment in each one of our lives when we begin to realize, sometimes cataclysmically,
that there are forces bigger than even Miss Shields. <laughs> that even, even bigger than you, being this big, hot, hip kid. All right, you got the scene? I'm this... There's a great word I wish I could use on the radio. This little smart... You know what? <laughs> Three letters. <laughs> He's a smart you-know-what. And that's me, see? I'm walking around. You know, and I already, you know, I've got the whole neighborhood organized. I've got, I'm growing worms in the basement. And at the age of 12 and a half, I'm earning more than my old man ever earned his life. I got the greatest worms in the neighborhood. They're buying night crawlers from me. I've got a paper route. And I've already worked out a mathematical way where I can make more money than the guy who gave me the papers off the papers, you know. So I'm playing it cool. Incidentally. At that point, I bought a new bicycle. My old man never owned anything in the transportation world ever in his life. New. He even had used roller skates when he was a kid. <laughs> and here I am with this new Elgin bike. I bought and paid for it. A chrome fender. Hi, old man. Hi, Dad, you know. And he's out there polishing his old used Graham Page. <laughs> had about 19 owners. And only at this stage do I realize how he must have hated me. In a subtle way. Okay, you got the scene? All right. The reason I was reminded of this story is because I am riding on the way down here to the studio tonight. And I see the little flicker in the distance. Did you see it over Jersey? A little flicker of heat. Oh, shut up, will you? Gee, the slope foreheads are with us tonight. In Indiana, they call them round haircuts. <laughs> In Trenton, they call them something else. <laughs> and be careful, I know the words. I am... Oh, shut up. All right, take them out, take them out. I am driving along 7th Avenue, and I see the flicker of heat lightning. And I am reminded there was a little twinge of fear in my guts for one brief instant. And I'm reminded of that great moment of education that happened on a night just like this in July by the way this is the this is an evil month you know anyone born in July is a is a Leo you know what is a Leo that's a lion man and be careful I am a Leo so I'm this kid see I've got it all going for me I'm a Leo I've got 75 watts full pouring it into my antenna and I'm on 20 meters CW. All of these things my family didn't even understand the remotest about. I'm sitting in the front bedroom, my shack. It's a quiet July afternoon. And I'm on CW, you know, code. And I'm sitting there working away. I'm 14, 10 feet tall, freshman in high school, Esther Jane Alberry with just on the edge of the horizon, you know. Who knows? Maybe tonight, you know, that whole scene. I have been eating Fleischmann's yeast now for over a year and a half. I've got my pimples under control, you know. You know, the whole scene, I've got a dollar and a half in my pocket that was mine. And I'm on the air, see. And about every ten minutes, my mother, who is out in the kitchen, bent over her sink eternally. And the sink is making that sound that sinks made since time immemorial. That sink is going, <laughs> and she's bending over it. Every once in a while, it would go, Wah! and spit up Mrs. Bruner's <laughs> apple cores from next door. We always got Mrs. Bruner's coffee grounds for our sink. And my mother would get so mad, she would stuff ours with coffee grounds. And then pour water in it and put it down and see it squirt out of Bruner's sink. She said, Mrs. Bruner, how do you like that? So the sink is gurgling away there. My mother's got egg on her lapel, you know, with this thing. She's, and, and it was like a tick. It was like a tick. She kept saying, be careful. Be careful of the live wires. She knew I had a lot of wires out. That's all she knew, you know. And I had this antenna up on the roof, which I had put up under tremendous battling. I had convinced my old man that he, we should put this antenna up. It had a great big wire, and he kept saying things like, 
Well, gee, I don't know. Wires up on top of the roof. That's live wires. I mean, burning down the house. No, I said, oh, Dad, come on. You don't understand these things, Dad. That's just an antenna. You put it in RF. No, no problem at all. It's all beautifully insulated and all that. You just let me handle that. You help me, Dad. Well, he finally did it. And so here I'm in there in the front bedroom working my rig. And I'll never forget it. I'm working a guy in Denver. Now, why Denver? I don't know. It's just imprinted in my mind. It's hot. You know the kind of heat we had here today in New York? The humidity? A kind of sitting down on top of your heat? Well, listen. In Indiana, you have to multiply that kind of heat by about 35. An Indiana July afternoon with the clouds hanging over the horizon with the flickering, with the flickering heat lightning is the kind of heat that is generated by a 280-pound lady <laughs> sitting at a camp chair at a picnic. You know, it's just like a big, fat old lady sitting down on you. You know, she's just kind of a nice lady. And here I am, I'm sweating the pouring off of me. You know, and I'm feeding the, 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 the fantastic surge of life coming out. And off in the distance, way off by the steel mills, over on the other side where the lake begins, you could hear the rumbling of heat lightning. You know the kind of... We don't see much weather like that in New York. But out in the Great Plains, oh boy, when those, when those quick thunderstorms come up, it's exciting. There was a little breath of air came in through the window. Cool breath. You know that feeling that you get just before the big rain? It just... And I could hear my mother saying, Be careful of the live wires! I said, Oh, Ma, will you get off my back? I'm having trouble hearing them. Hearing who? I said, You wouldn't understand, Ma. Now leave me go. And I'm working with her. And she walks into the door and stands there for a minute. She says, Don't talk that way to me. How many times? Can you remember as a kid being said, Don't talk that way. I'm your mother. I said, All right, Ma. All right. All right. Okay. I'm sorry, Ma. Then she goes back to the sink with her Brillo pad. The, I will see my mother throughout all my life huddled over a sink with a Brillo pad, fighting the fantastic fight of the coffee grounds all of her life. Well, I'm playing it cool. I'm swinging away there. And that storm is coming up. And right next to me, now you got the scene? I'm sitting at my operating desk, which was an old table that my grandpa had. And right next to me is a window, like so. This is a frame house. You know the kind of frame house that a typical Midwestern house with a great big porch out in front, the snowball bushes. And on top, there's the, the attic where all the junk is stored. You know, a funny smell in the attic. And above that is my antenna. You got the scene right above my head. My feed lines came down right in the window, up to the rig. I'm sitting there. Every 10 seconds, my mother comes to the door and says, Watch out! Be careful of live wires! Live wires, Ma, I invented live wires. <laughs> Got the whole thing going here, working away. And I'm talking to the guy in Denver. <laughs> Little thunderclap out there. <laughs> little breath of cool air comes in. And I stand by. I say, okay, old man. Okay. I'm sitting there and I'm waiting, copying. I feel another breath of fresh air. Cool air. I hear my mother through my earphones. Incidentally, I wore a pair of 16 and a half pound earphones on my ears from my eighth year up through my 17th year. Now these are crucial growing years. I grew up with a 16-pound weight on my head. I was born to be six feet seven. <laughs> Look at me now. Boy, I'll tell you, trim, lightweight phones indeed. So I'm sitting there working this thing away, and I keep, I keep hearing through, through the earphones, and I hear through the sound of the code, my mother's voice. Be careful of live wires. Yeah, ma. Be careful of live wires. Da, 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 da. Yeah, Ma. Be careful of live wires. Da, 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 da. Yeah, all right, Ma. When all of a sudden, instantly, 
just in a fantastic moment of revelation, there is a, I was like hanging in midair, when suddenly, boom, a blue flash. I shake myself, but I am no longer sitting at my desk. I am under the daybed, 30 feet away. There is a blue haze of ozone hanging over the entire surround. I can see a lick of flame coming out of the front bedroom. My antenna has been ionized. I'm staggering around. My mother shows up in the door and she says, Be careful of live wires! I said, what? I didn't know what hit me. A bolt of lightning had hit my antenna and seeing a soft spot had come right down my 600 ohm feed, wiped me out completely, and then had gone down the drain pipe, made a quick jump over to what we called our hot air register, blew up the furnace in the basement, came back up again, pushed the side of the wall right out, and left to go to Pittsburgh. You never saw more chaos in your life. The side of my bedroom was pushed right out like a truck had hit the wall. And my mother didn't know what happened. She's out in the front there with, over the sink, you know, and she heard this fantastic explosion. And she comes running back and she says, I told you about the live wires, and turns back. And I'm standing in front of the hole in the wall. The whole wall was cracked. You know, remember when you were a kid and you broke a window and you thought you were going to die? I had blown up the house. There wasn't a window left on the whole side of the house. I'm telling you what happened. The foundation was pushed 18 inches out. We had a new room in the basement. And I'm standing there trying to protect the whole scene. Oh, oh my God. And there was nothing but blue flames flicking out of my equipment. It was just ionized. Little little pieces of copper were all over the walls and the whole thing. So, what now? Well, I better fix it. I get up my Sears robot, 15-watt soldering iron, and I realize that somewhere, someplace, some gigantic male fist had come out of the sky and wiped out this smart kid. Well, I was scared to death. I was just out of my skull. You can imagine that. And my fingers are burnt. My ears are sticking out at right angles. I had absolutely no hair. You know, it's funny, I had three eyes for months after that. Just recently, the third one got grew out, but I had three eyes, my feet were webbed, it burnt the tennis shoes right off my feet, you should have seen my BVDs, <laughs> boy, that's, this lightning had written obscene words all the way down my backbone, I'll tell you it was fantastic, I had just escaped, and speaking of obscene words, what radio station is this, friends? Oh, come on. Very good. Oh, you sycophantic crowd. Well, I am scared out of my skull. Now, all of you know this feeling of having done something really rotten, terrible. And I am worried. And my mother is still in the kitchen. And I'm back there with the wreckage. And she begins to smell it. She could smell that ozone. She could smell the blue flame. She could probably even smell my fear. They say that when you are truly afraid, you begin to exude a very primal scent. Well, I was exuding it. I'll tell you, dogs were howling for miles around. Boy, am I scared. This is a true story, incidentally. It's still a legend out there. Well, I know I am. And, 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 and all of this took place in about, I'd say, roughly 30 milliseconds. And for that instant, nobody in the neighborhood even moved. And then they began to pour out of the houses. I could see them coming out all around. I look out of the window, and there's Mrs. Bruner out. She heard the big thunder clap, you know. 
Mrs. Stryker across the street is out there with her flip gun, you know. She's walking around, you know. You never know. You never know what's going to come out of the sky in Indiana, I'll tell you. <laughs> she's walking around out there, and Mr. Scott is out looking around, the old guy with the glasses wandering around. Ralph Bruner is crawling out of the privet hedges. He's been drunk since last January. He's crawling, what happened? What happened? He figured they were calling to work, you know. Well, I am scared. Oh, my God, what, is it? what have I done? What have I done? And just about that instant, you see, it was about 4.30, quarter to 5, the rain starts coming down. The great rolling summer thundershot. Boom! And just as the rain came down, I could hear the sound coming up the driveway. The Graham Page. Boom! Just like that, you know. The old man had a great way of going up to the garage. This was his way of going over the horns. He would come up at full speed on the gravel. And just at the last instant, he would downshift. He always saw himself as Wilbur Shaw without portfolio, you know. And I'd hear that car, and he slammed the door. I thought, oh, he's coming. It's the old man. He was, incidentally, the Supreme Court. All of you know that phrase in your, in your family. Every, it, it, almost every family has it. You just wait till your father gets home. You know that phrase? That is also comes with a, uh, another one that goes like this. I'll tell your father. And you know, no wonder the poor old father is hated in America. <laughs> he is just the civil, you know, can't, can't you see millions, millions of simple tools arriving home, you know, coming home? All of a sudden, the wife says, go get him, go get him. Just <laughs> what, 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 what? She says, go get him. And the next thing you know, he's, he's got to put on his mad face, you know. He pulls in, he plugs in his little red eyes, you know, gum, gum. He puts in his fangs and says, hey, come here, Charlie, fangs. Then he goes back and the kitchen. What did he do? <laughs> what did he do? What did he do? Just you should have heard what he said about you. He said, what? <laughs> well, you know, we got that kind of scene going at home. You know, the old man is driving up to the house. And he was a very quiet, meek guy. You know, he never, never heard anybody all of his life. But when he got the word in the kitchen... I'll tell you, it was like Typhoon Diana. And so I hear clunk, clunk. Oh, gee, I'm trying to straighten things up. <laughs> the wall, believe me, you never saw anything like it. Right from the top all the way down was pushed out like a V. With like the prow of a ship. And, and, and you know, we, had, we, had this <laughs> we had this crazy wallpaper, you know, with the geraniums. You know, mother wallpaper, you know. <laughs> you know, with the little vines crawling all over it. Well, it cracked right down through the jungle there. And you could see all the vines were withered and seared, and now there were little King Kongs looking at her. It was fantastic, all broken. I'm scared. <laughs> I hear him out there, bang, he slams the door, and I hear there was foot coming up, you know. It's raining, I hear Hey, I'm home! Oh, are we? I'm home! Hey, I'm home! You know, that happy daddy sound, you know. I said, oh, yeah, he is. Oh, it's really him. Oh, gee whiz. And I hear my mother say something to my father. He says, what? She says, live wires. And boom, I hear boom, 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 boom. You know that kind of father slamming feet, you know? He's suddenly King Kong. He's walking in. He's dropping the papers all behind him. His straw hat is off. Boom, boom, in the door. He says, all right, smart guy. <laughs> The pictures were all cracked, you know. You should have seen the drapes that were hanging in little shreds, you know, little pieces. And we had these rings, you know, you know those rings on the drapes, the brass rings? They were all figure eights, you know. Oh, boy, lightning is fantastic. He says, okay. He says, all right. He walks into my shack. Incidentally, he never came in this room because it represented my superiority over him. <laughs> no. You know, he walks in and he says, all right. 
And he takes one look at that crack that went all the way down through the foundation. And as far as I knew, to the, to the very center of the earth. It could have even cracked the world. He looks at this. Silence. This was a totally new Avenger. He didn't hit, he didn't do anything. He just walked around. He looks at me and he says, How did you do it? <laughs> I, says, I guess I was drawing too much plate, Kurt. I, I, I... He says, Okay. Smart guy, huh? You know all about electricity. You know how to fix the light bulbs, don't you? You know how to put up the BX cable in the basement, huh? Okay, now, let's see how smart you are. How much do you think this is going to cost? <laughs> Figure it out. Go on. <laughs> He's being serious. He says, all right. Mathematical brain, figure it out. How much? See, new foundation. How much do you think that'll be? Maybe 20 cents, 35, maybe? <laughs> I see. Oh, you can, fix, you can fix it for half a dollar. I see. All right. Now, what about the roof? It's cracked all the way up past the attic. There are no shingles on the house all the way back to the garage. You figure, uh, how much? Oh, 60 cents for that. All right. Oh, I'm scared. I'm scared. I'm sweating. And now he comes over to my transmitter, which was ionized. It no longer exists. You see, there's just a few little charred sticks, a little piece of a chassis there that's been melted down. He says, now, how much do you think this is worth? Probably you figure $5,000. That'll be about 16 cents. All right, let's go into the living room. I walk in. He says, hey, Ann, that was my mother's official name. <laughs> When he used that name, that meant it ain't mommy and daddy anymore. <laughs> you know, I'm a real kid. <laughs> he didn't say, Mom, come in, you know. He says, Ann, come in here. Randy, that's my kid brother, who has been whimpering under the... <laughs> my kid brother has been crying under the radiator for half an hour. <laughs> You see, because there's always residual benefits for the kids that are innocent, you know. <laughs> he says, Randy, come in here. <laughs> He's got a wash rag, you know. Or something. Sit down, sit down, all of you sit down. And the old man's in charge. This is the guy that I figured was a slob. He didn't know, he couldn't even tell a V8 from a six, LaSalle. And he sits there with his suspenders. He said, all right. The first thing we're going to do, we're going to move. <laughs> you see... <laughs> Incidentally, it was a rented house. <laughs> tell you so help me he says we're going to move tonight <laughs> well four and a half hours later we left cleveland street in my uncle carl's truck my uncle charles station wagon and we have moved over to a house on arizona street and the old man in the new house he walks into the front bedroom and he says, look, see this wall? I said, yeah, Dad. Just keep in mind that it's my wall. <laughs> he 
Well, you know, I'll tell you a funny little postscript on that story. About two or three years later, oh, I, I'm sorry, two or three years ago, I take one, you know how all of us occasionally drive back to the old neighborhood to see what the neighborhood's like? You ever gone back to your old neighborhood and notice how everything is little now? <laughs> how all the houses have shrunk, you know, and the people are sort of funny looking. And, you know, and you want to run back in there, but I'm home, I'm home, gang! And a lot of funny little fat people look out of windows, you know. And the ball diamond where you played is about the size of, you know, a postage stamp, you know. And everything, see. So about three years ago, a funny little postscript. This is a true story. I drive back to this neighborhood. I'm visiting my mother, who still lives out there. She's now about five miles from there, see. And so I drive back in the neighborhood, and I'm driving up Cleveland Street, and there is the house. And I can still see up there. There's two colored shingles on the, on, the, on the roof, you know. There's a dark green set of shingles and a light green set of shingles. And they're kind of zigzag across, you know. You ever seen how lightning goes? It goes like that, see. Well, I go down past and I park and I look up and I can see the side of the house bulging out. It bulges out, see. I realize I have left my mark on the world. I'm immortal, you know. I see this thing, it, it bulges out, it sticks out, and they put tar in it or something. And there is a kid up on the front steps. A real smart kid. He's got big glasses, you know, he's walking around kicking tin cans. He's living in my house. You know, I want to go up and grab the little kid by the scruff of the neck and say, Kid, you think you're a smart kid? <laughs> you are looking at the smartest kid that ever lived on Cleveland Street. You see that house with a roof, you know? He's walking around. Well, I take a look at that, and you know what? It's a funny scene. I'm looking out at a car, and I could see up on the roof where the antenna had been. You know, it's funny how nail holes remain. Little pieces of nail and stuff up there, way at the peak. And all of that came back. And I get this sick feeling in the, in the pit of my stomach, in the gut, you know. And off in the distance, I can see a little heat light. I can hear a little thunder just on the edge of happening. And I get that sense of, my God, any minute now. <laughs> a male fist is going to come out of the sky. All right, smart kid, boom! <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. We are living in, in a time when nobody really believes in superior forces. I mean, that's bigger than people really bigger than people. And yet, because we're animals, we're at the mercy of these elements. We still can't quite totally believe it. And so every one of us has two little things going inside of us. You know, you hear Dr. Norman Vincent Peale. He comes on and he says, and I tell you, all you've got to do is have faith and you too can run General Motors. You can go all the way. And you're saying, oh, come on, come on. And there's some little thing that says, maybe, look out, don't be so smart, Jack. Maybe. Yeah. But each one of us is torn by those two things. We don't believe it, and yet we secretly do. There is a male fist somewhere. And I wonder about that, you know. Can you imagine the last 30 seconds of a hippie? Just as that Mack truck belts him one and he caroms off the limelight, you know. He bounces off the Figaro, you know. They pick him up, skittle along past the Kinneret. And he's laying there and he's looking up. It's his last instant. The great atheist is leaving. They say, oh, they say, Charlie, Charlie, oh, quick, get some pot. Charlie's going. Quick, do something for him. Charlie's laying there. And suddenly he's gone. That instant. And there is a brief change of scene. The sound of slides being changed in the eternal, in the eternal slide projector of life. Boom, boom. And he is standing before this fantastic judge. He says, what the heck is this? Wait till I hear about this at the village, boys. Holy smokes. 
And a judge looks down. He says, all right. You are now here to be judged. We are going to decide which way you are going. Here is the big book. All the records are here. He's got a big beard. The guy says, man, this is right out of Beckett. <laughs> wow, go, Dad, man. What a character bit. This is fantastic. Existentialism, huh? We are now about to judge you. Let's see. Did you or did you not know a girl named Barbara? He says, Barbie? Oh, man, I'll never forget one night I turned her on. Oh, wow. He says, yes, we're here to talk about that. Let's see. Uh, you say you made underground movies, huh? Yeah, oh, wow. And 30 seconds later, they pressed the button, and he's in heaven. It turns out that he hadn't sinned at all. Can you imagine the fantastic disappointment? <laughs> the judge says, no, we aren't sending you with the others. He's the others. What do you mean, man? What kind of party you got going? <laughs> that fantastic sense that somebody else knows more about sin than you do. Have you ever had the sneaky feeling that other people know more dirty things than you? Have you ever wanted to open and explore new vistas of evil? How would you like to be sitting in your front bedroom one morning quietly, unconcernedly, not knowing you're about to discover the next thing since the wheel? Well, without knowing what you've done, you have discovered a new sin. <laughs> Isn't that a great idea? I wonder if you can patent them. I mean, if you're the first one, you know, to discover this new sin. Would you tell your friends? Would you, would you, would you keep it to yourself? Do you have the feeling that other people have done it first? Well, let me tell you about the new sin problem. <laughs> That's, that's, incidentally, something that hangs around. Have you ever heard of the concept of the original sin? I mean, above and beyond the biblical idea of it. That almost every one of us, as we sit here in this crowd, each one of us has about nine things which we have never discussed. <laughs> I can see a nice little lady over here says, Wise, but I wonder, what's he talking about? <laughs> I don't understand this sort of talk. It's terrible. Oh, yes, we've each got about nine or ten things that happen in our lives which we prefer to keep anonymous. Back in the darkness there. Well, let me tell you at the time, I'm a kid, see. And I'm out with Flick and Schwartz and Bruner. We're walking around. We're just kids, you know. Scouting the scene. Incidentally, they, they always call this a childhood is the age of exploration. Exploring the range of the human being. So we're out exploring. <laughs> you know, flick hits me. I say, ah, come on. Quit hitting me. Walk around. When suddenly we came up against our first concept of original sin. They were building a new house. Have you ever walked past these places, you know, where you see the house is in framework? It's all wood. And it's got big barrels of nails. And there's big bales of, of well, great stuff like uh, shingles, two-by-fours. Well, there had been a slight rain, and the carpenters weren't on duty. Now, these were four very, very honest kids up to this point. Walking around. There's a barrel of nails. Schwartz says, uh, let's get some nails. Flick says, no, let's get some shingles. And I say, no, I'll tell you what we're going to get. Let's get some two-by-fours. 
We'll build a shack. Quick, Bruner, go get your wagon. Bruner arrives back with the wagon, and we're stealing the stuff and swinging it. And we start taking the two-by-fours off of the house. <laughs> we're taking the house down, you know. It's throwing them down. I'm hanging up there on the top, throwing stuff down. And we've got a gigantic load. We have already taken two loads away. And they're hidden in the woods back of Flick's house. We got a three-room house already back there, see? Cape Cod, by the way, because you're interested. And so we're working a concrete big pile. And, and you know, there's that wonderful excitement of doing something rotten. You know that excitement of really being illegal. You know that excitement of sneaking and looking through somebody's medicine cabinet? You're in the john, you know, and you're looking through stuff. And they're all out there playing pinochle, you know, and you say, holy smokes, what is this? Take one a day? In case of severe paroxysm, holy smokes, which one of them has fits? You know? <laughs> you know? Well, so we're, we're, ex, we're, we're, ex, we're having that wonderful excitement. The nails don't mean anything anymore. We are, on the, we are in the full frenzy of, of sin. You know, eyes bulging, sweating, you know, yelling. When all of a sudden this truck rides up there. And eight guys jump out. They're the carpenters. You know, the guys with the overalls. Hey, Amos, look at them kids. Hey, you kids, get out, out of there. And I'm swinging up there. There's my load of stuff. We hit the ground. And all four of us ran like absolute nuts. I mean, I ran up and down alleys. There were cops. There were, there were housewives. There were dogs chasing us. They chased us for at least nine and a half hours. And we're running. We finally all arrive under Bruner's porch, sweating. <laughs> Ten minutes later, I'm home, walking around. Do you know to this day My mother doesn't know about that afternoon To this very day uh, Incidentally we built a seven room house Out back of Flick's house But I will never forget that fantastic Wonderful great sense of total illicitness It's the illicitness of being in the kitchen At two o'clock in the morning of somebody else's house. You know, it's the illicitness of looking across out of your apartment across the street and somebody has left all the shades open. You look... You, know, you say, I shouldn't do this. Oh, you know. oh, speaking of the illicit, do you want to explore it further in the next half, gang? Who's for sin? Hey! All right. All right, who's for good stuff? Ooh.